Hey there, I'm Jason Gotts, and this is Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Big Think is an online forum for the world's most creative thinkers and doers to share their ideas on video. Since 2008, we've shared over 10,000 of them. On the Think Again podcast, Big Think's producers surprise our guests and me with unexpected clips housed in the giant heart brain that pulses deep beneath Big Think headquarters, and then we discuss them. Today, I'm joined by PJ Vogt and Alex Goldman, who are like Batman and Batman, because who would be Robin? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I have a story about that. I used to work in a state institution for the mentally disabled. One of the residents would always say to me, hey, Alex, I'm Batman, you're Robin. And I would say, no way, I'm Batman, you're Robin. And he would be like, look, I'm just going to tell you right now, like, you're going to make me super angry (laughs) if you keep telling me that you're Batman and I'm Robin. Alex is really good at dealing with me, which means I'm Batman. So PJ and Alex are the creators and hosts of Reply All, a Gimlet media podcast about the internet. It is one of my favorite shows of all time. Welcome, gents. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming us and for saying that our show is your favorite. Both of you have worked in public radio from before this current golden age of podcasting. Is podcasting a different thing from radio? There's no clock. That's a big, big thing. Everybody I know who works in public radio, they're just like, oh, you have all the time you want to tell a story and it doesn't have to be any longer than it should be and you have this freedom to do sort of whatever you want. You get to move it more in whatever weird direction you want to because the people who are there decided to be there. Whereas if you're on the radio, somebody might reasonably say, you know, I don't listen to NPR for this garbage. People who listen to our garbage decide to listen to our garbage and so they kind of have to deal with what they get. You have that guy who writes songs about whatever that you just used to intro the show. Oh, Matt Farley. That's like a really good example of, it's a decision that would never happen if you had to justify the decision to anybody else. By the way, he has 18,000 songs on Spotify. And Jason, I can guarantee you, he has a Jason song, a happy birthday Jason song. He might have a big thing song. It's not outside the realm of possibility that he has a song about the big thing. And if he doesn't, Matt, I'm going to tweet at you about this episode, and you need to write a song about big thing. And he will. If that manages to somehow happen within the next couple of weeks, we'll definitely put it in the episode. He records pretty fast. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, so here's how Think Again works. Our producers have chosen short interview clips for us to listen to. They could be on any subject, and they're a total surprise to me and to my guests, PJ and Alex. Are we ready? Yes. Okay, cool. Hi, Jonathan. What do you have for us? Hey, Jason. Today we have futurist Stephen Kotler on criminal uses for future technology. If you look at the three biggest criminal enterprises in the world right now, it's arms dealing, drugs, and exotic animals. We can use 3D printing to print guns already. There are people working on a 3D printer for drugs, right? The idea is prescription pharmaceuticals, you could print them in 3D. It's a chemistry set 3D printer. Synthetic biology lets us create brand new organisms from scratch. So do you want your exotic parrot or do you want something that's brand new? Over the next 20, 25 years, it means that the three largest criminal enterprises in the world are gonna be available to anyone. All the illegal drug trades, we're gonna just pull the rug out from underneath them and nobody has any idea what happened next, right? That's never happened before in this. We've always had organized crime because there's always been stuff that we couldn't get that we wanted. All kinds of new weapons are now possible, right? One of the things I look at in Tomorrowland is the question of could you design a bioweapon, a synthetic bioweapon that targets the president's DNA alone? With what's coming, 
I can make a disease, I can make a disease that I spray into the air, you pass through it, nobody else gets sick, and you get a slow neurodegenerative disease that unfolds over a couple of years. Nobody even knows you've been attacked. So we're looking at a whole new kind of assassination, and this is the next technology. So we're going to start seeing criminals get involved in it. I, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I hear stuff like this, like, okay, they're gonna be, you're gonna be able to 3D print codeine and someone can make a biological weapon that is specifically geared to your DNA and all of this is going to be happening, I don't believe it. Even though I know that that's how technology works, something in my brain can't process that that's gonna happen. Alex is like a end times fan. So I had two, I actually had two thoughts while I was listening to that. First, I imagined a future of genetically engineered, drugged out super animals with, with guns. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like half sloth, half man, machine gun toting creatures with like a morphine drip that they carry no, around. They'd be drugged out on future juice. These <laughs> synthetic drugs. And then, the, and then the next thought I had, which is what PJ is referring to, is like, eh, we'll be in Mad Max times before we reach that technological advance anyway. Jay's, I'm sort of like you where. I feel like if you look back, people always imagine the future in ways that say a lot more about the present than anything else. And I don't know what that says about our present, that the things we immediately imagine are sort of paranoid and also buying things online based. Uh, <laughs> paranoid and convenient. Yeah. <laughs> we always picture the future as this single package. And rarely do we picture the everyday schlubby lives of people in the future. Do you think that these things will be shocking the first time and then we'll just adapt to them and the world will continue spinning in the plain, uninteresting way that it spins normally? I always think about like the Jetsons and the Flintstones, how they think that everything that's going to happen is just going to be more of what's already happening. Nobody ever uses a cell phone on the Jetsons. Nobody ever gets on the internet. Nobody ever gets gay married. And going back to these existential threats, even with something like global warming, it is super scary and the sea levels are rising, but I still feel like people are gonna move inland. Like Katrina happened, Katrina was horrible. Do we talk and think about Katrina every day? No, we're very pragmatic creatures. You know, we're like cockroaches. We go find another hole to inhabit. Oh, I think we'll survive. I just think there's gonna be a lot of car chases and people wearing gas masks. And... How I just old think were that... you when you first saw Mad Max? Pretty young. How old? Mm, under 10. Maybe it deformed his brain. That's sort of what I think. I think that we're just going to live in like an arid, inhospitable hellscape, and we're constantly going to be fighting for our lives. I think you found out that humans die by watching Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the drug stuff was interesting, just because, to me, the future he's describing where organized crime won't exist because people can print out their own stuff, that felt like the same utopia, dystopia stuff around the Silk Road, where it's like, oh, you can order drugs off the internet, now it's as if drugs are functionally not illegal. The law can't reach us here. And then a year later, everybody got arrested. I think criminals and police are very resourceful. And the idea that technology would make either of them not have power, I'm very skeptical of it. You know, there was a couple years ago where that guy developed a gun that you could 3D print. It was basically the libertarian argument that everyone should have the right to defend themselves <laughs> and the government shouldn't be regulating and shouldn't be up in our business. In practice, from everything I've read, printing a gun is actually really hard. There are tons of moving parts in a gun. Generally, when you read an article about someone who tries to print a gun, it's a person like me who's like, I'm a journalist, I'm gonna print a gun. And then they give it a shot and they're like, I tried it, and then like, the trigger exploded. 
I think it's safer to always say that nothing's going to happen because if you're wrong, nobody cares. I'm like an anti-futurist because I don't want to be mocked in the future. That's fair. Nothing's going to happen except Mad Max times. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready for the next one, guys? Yeah. Yes. Okay, what's next, Aaron? Okay, so this is psychologist Dan Ariely talking about how to get good advice. There are many ways to be irrational. We could be irrational by getting confused, not taking actions, being myopic, vindictive, emotional. There's lots of ways to be wrong, and because of that, there's not one way to fix it. But one interesting way is to think from an outsider's perspective. When you think about your own life, you're trapped within your own emotions and feelings and so on. But if you give advice to somebody else, all of a sudden you're not trapped within that emotional combination, mishmash uh, complexity, and you can give advice that is more forward-looking. So one idea is to basically ask people for advice. So if you're falling in love with some person, a good advice is to go to your mother and say, mother, what do you think about the long-term compatibility of that person, right? When you're infatuated, you're not able to see things three months down the road. Your mother, being an outsider, is not infatuated, and she could probably look at things like long-term compatibility and so on. So for example, in one experiment, we asked people, we said, look, you went to your doctor, they gave you this diagnosis, you know that the thing that the doctor recommended is much more expensive, and there are other things that would be much cheaper. Would you go for second opinion? And people say, no, my doctor recommended it. How could I not take their advice? Then we asked another group, if this happened to your friend, would you recommend that they go for second opinion? People said, absolutely. How could you not go for second opinion? So one idea is to try and get ourselves from an outside perspective. You look at the situation and then you say to yourself, if this was about somebody else, what would I advise them? And you would realize that often your advice will be different and often a more rational, useful perspective. I think part of the hardest thing that he doesn't mention is when you go advice shopping, okay, my mom said I shouldn't be with this person, but let me go talk to my friend with bad judgment. And like my friend with bad judgment said I shouldn't be with this person, but let me talk to another friend and tell the story differently. I feel like a hard thing to be aware of is how you're biasing the jury. You're you're like doctoring the story in order to get the response you want. Yeah. That's Dan Ariely, and he studies human irrationality, and there were a couple of cognitive scientists that preceded him, like Daniel Kahneman and uh, his partner, Amos Tversky, who sort of pioneered this study of cognitive biases and the fact that basically we are totally irrational. We think we know what we're doing, but nine times out of ten, for very specific reasons, the stories that we're telling ourselves are not in any way correct. And so then the question is, can I escape it? Is there a way out? I don't think there's really any escape. <laughs> I've been seeing a therapist off and on since I was like nine. I think that's the closest I'm going to get to actual unbiased uh, advice. And then every once in a while, in keeping with being totally irrational, I say to myself, this person doesn't care about me. I pay them. You say you've been in it for all those years. This is another example of the escape problem. You have no means of judging how your life would have been had you not been in therapy, right? No, none at all. So do you have any sense that it's better because of therapy? I do, actually. I think I've learned better ways to communicate. Like, I think I've learned to be, like, patient and listen to people more. I still have problems with those things. But it's just being able to, like, actually hear people 
I think I directly attribute to my years and years of therapy. So maybe some escape is possible in that sense. It's just not, maybe not as dramatic as we would like. Yeah, it's like what you want is to be able to like clean the windshield or not have a windshield. And what you get is like a slightly cleaner windshield or like a slightly better squeegee or whatever. I feel like for me, and I don't know if this is true for you, and I'm curious if it's true for you, there's what he's talking about, which is like you can never be perfectly rational. But also, I feel like I go through phases of more rationality and times where I'm like, I don't want to have good judgment and like I'll just go do something crazy. And not like crazy like take a bunch of drugs and drive a car through Times Square. Crazy like I know that I cared about exercise before, but I'm eating that now. It's like I'm just tired of it and I want to be a dumb animal. And I wonder if that's a me thing or a human thing. So I get pissed off at the healthy things that I have prescribed for myself in my life. Um, because I have a problem with authority. So even if the authority is coming from me, yes. then I'm like, screw that, I'm not doing that. And then I'm like, oh wait, now I feel overweight and then low energy and whatever <laughs> again. Why am I rebelling against myself? I constantly feel like I have these conversations where I'm like, when I'm responsible, I'm like, future me wouldn't like that. And then when I'm irresponsible, I'm like, past me has a lot of opinions that I don't care about because present me has some things that I want to do. My irrationality is when I am behaving in a way that is obviously against my best interest, my thought is future me will figure it out. Oh. Like, all right, you're doing something very stupid right now, but a week from now, whatever problem you've gotten yourself into, be it you're eating too much or like you're not sleeping enough, you'll correct for it. You'll figure it out. Future me will figure it out. <laughs> future me must hate you. I'm currently future me and I'm really mad at past me. <laughs> But future, future me, he's got it all worked out. He's got it all worked out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised at my ability to still forget, metaphorically and non-metaphorically, to be like, a hangover. Like, that's a real thing, and you're going to have one. I don't know, you've known me basically through my 20s. Do you feel like I've at all matured? Uh, I do feel like a lot of times you'll say, Alex, I have this problem. So-and-so is happening. How should I deal with it? And I'm like, whatever you do, the worst possible the worst possible outcome would be to do X. And then you go away for a weekend and you come back and you're like, so I did X. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest with you, it went really bad. (laughs) I I don't know why I thought it would work, but like, I feel like there was no other way to do it. Then I'm like, I I told you six different ways that that could have gone. And you're like, "No, no, but if you look at it, X was really the only way to go. I don't know about you guys, but for me, I'm always wishing there was a Yoda in my life, the one that you go to and they're like, well, what you should do. And I have a number of people I trust in various ways, but no one is the Yoda. Well, I was just going to say, it's not only that Yoda is always right, because you usually do know the right thing to do, but he says it in a way where you listen, because he's three feet tall and can make like an X-wing levitate. Do or do not. That's not good advice. (laughs) Like, like that's like, believe in yourself, buddy. That's the hard part. It's just someone you like, the way your dad feels when you're nine. And then there's the other question, which goes back to what you were saying, PJ, of whether if you say, screw this health plan, right now I want to have another drink with my friends because going to that next level of liminal breakthrough is going to strengthen our bond or whatever. Is that maybe sometimes true? Is it maybe the case that we do have to like burn the house down in small ways now and then to like move ourselves forward? I don't know. A lot of times the right thing to do, especially when it comes to relationships, especially especially when it comes to romantic relationships, is like the long, painful, sort of agonizing thing to do. And it's much easier just not to do those. But are you saying that the hard stuff is therefore futile to do or just that we don't want to do it or... I think that what I'm saying is um, the easy thing to do, which is the destructive thing to do, 
it like hurts you in some small way. And then the hard thing to do, which is the constructive thing to do, often hurts in a <laughs> very big, tangible, and much more sustained way. So you really can't win. We're all doomed. <laughs> Just tune in to Alex's therapy hour. It's a call-in show where he tells everyone to the, stop where by I tell the everyone water. Where I tell everyone they're doomed. Yeah. Okay. Are we ready for round three, guys? Yes. Yeah. Okay. What do we have next, Elizabeth? Here's one with actor and activist George Takei on the man. Everybody's talking about Donald Trump. Donald Trump, 14th candidate for the Republican nomination for president, made the statement that uh, we have a porous border and that rapists and criminals are coming right through the border. And that's why we've got to build a fence paid for by Mexico. And he's, what, number one in the polls now. Isn't that interesting? The fact is, the immigration rate has gone down by practically a half since uh, 2009. Illegal immigrants are going back to Mexico. The um, racial profiling of Arab Americans in this country because they look like terrorists. That's precisely what happened to Japanese Americans during the Second World War. We happen to look like the people that bombed Pearl Harbor. We Japanese Americans are very, very mindful of the power of the media. Right prior to the Second World War, uh, the Asians were depicted as inscrutable, vicious, cunning. Every minority group has been characterized by stereotypes, and that's been perpetuated by the media. And uh, when it's inflamed by an individual or a current event, then the country is swept up by that, that hysteria. The other day, I was talking about Donald Trump with a colleague and the possibility of, like, what if we had him on Big Think? Since we're a site that's about big ideas, should we be giving any kind of platform to such a person? And if he came on, like, what should we be asking him that would sort of justify that ethically? And the colleague was saying there should be a Darwinian struggle among ideas and the ones that win, you know, and we should facilitate that. And I was like, but what if Hitler was here and his vision for the Third Reich was a big idea. Should we be putting that on Big Think and allowing that to sort of struggle in the open marketplace of ideas? I feel like what's interesting, and I had never thought about it until now, is that there's a lot of reasons why people pay attention to Donald Trump. But one of them is that he does what a good public intellectual does, which is that he presents a vivid, compelling idea of the future. And obviously that man is not going to be president. And one of the reasons is that as you go through the electoral process, people subject your ideas to more scrutiny. And part of the reason he's able to have vivid ideas is because they're not very reality-based. He's more like creating advertisements. But I hadn't thought about the fact that part of his power is that he gets to say, oh, we'll just build a wall. Like imagine, like imagine the giant wall and imagine how great it would be if Mexico had to pay for the wall because he's not constrained by being particularly realistic. And he's also painting the dystopia that he will prevent with this massive, fantastical wall. Rapists and criminals running en masse across the border. And it's also very dangerous, and my colleague pointed this out, making any kind of comparison to Hitler and the Third Reich with respect to anything. And I think there's some sort of official rule on the internet that you guys would know about this. Godwin's law. If a conversation on the internet is long enough, the chances that Hitler will be invoked reach 100%. So I kind of made an analogy between the xenophobia that was 
seemed to be tapped into by the Trump campaign and uh, Hitler. But the fact is that none of these kinds of movements throughout history have ever begun with somebody saying, let's kill all the blanks. Yeah. They always begin with somebody saying, we are a great people. We should make our country better. There are elements that are not making our country great. My reaction to Trump is always like, I'm just not going to pay attention because he's not serious and, and it stresses me out to listen to him talk and I just don't want to think about it. I think that's probably an expression of privilege. And if you've lived, if you're like, I have to worry about this because there was a time where Japanese Americans were thrown into internment camps, then every popular demagogue from that perspective, which is probably the correct perspective, should be taken seriously. Like, I honestly think that we're in the midst of like an international crisis of immigration, where people are leaving countries en masse because the countries are inhospitable and dangerous. Those things, while they feel kind of remote, could definitely inform people's opinions about immigration in America. The murderers and rapists who are going to sneak through our border at any moment. Like, that fantasy is compelling for a lot of people, but that's not a real thing. Like, that misery doesn't exist. And there's this other misery that really does exist, and it's hard to make people imagine it. Because it's so much more complicated. What outsider candidates often do is they'll just, like, inject one idea, and they'll make someone tack in that direction. If or when he's no longer in the presidential campaign, those ideas aren't going to go away. He's making it easier for other people to make more reasonable versions of that same argument in the future. And also, the guy's super rich. He kind of has a bully pulpit. He can kind of just show up on TV whenever he wants and shout a bunch of stuff. And someone or someones will always pay attention, unfortunately. He might actually be able to build the wall in the form of the Trump wall. <laughs> and rich people can live on one side of it from America, and the other side just keeps everyone out from Mexico. Yeah, one side has a bunch of windows, <laughs> and the other side is like seven-foot-thick concrete. So that concludes the brainy portion of our show. And now it is time for the random quote generator. Yeah. So every time on the show, I have the guests press the random quote generator and read the quote of the week. There are two of you, so I don't know what to do. What should we do? Do you we want to have two do, quotes? Do two quotes, or we could each read half of one quote. Exactly. Those oh. are the two options. I like each reading half of one quote. It's right. just weirder. Okay, cool. So you're pressing the button. The sprung doors parted, and I staggered out into the lobby's teak and flicker. Uniformed men stood by impassively, like sentries in their trench. I slapped my key on the desk and nodded gravely. I was loaded enough to be unable to tell whether they could tell I was loaded. Would they mind? I was certainly too loaded to care. I moved to the door with boxy, schlep-shouldered strides. It's Martin Amos from Money. I mean, this is about what we were talking about a little bit. This is about walking away from rationality. This is about burning it down. Well, the random quote generator pretty much always ends up being about whatever we were talking about, which is, I guess, how psychics work as well <laughs> and fortune cookies. There was a New York Times article, which was like, yes. the author just went to the parole hearings of psychics, and the psychics basically had to say, in order to get parole, like, the thing we did was a scam. My whole life is a scam. I don't know how that I got into this position where I was, like, bilking people out of money. And the worst part was these, it was three women and they were completely contrite, like as I guess you are in that uh, circumstance. And whoever, whether it was a judge or like the authority figure kept making psychic jokes. You know, they were like, well, I guess you couldn't foresee that I won't let you out of prison. It's just like, come on, man, just leave this person alone. The people who go to psychics, they're still going to go to psychics. They don't oh, give absolutely. a damn. Like, 
about those people confessing. They'll be like, those are outliers. That goes back to the human irrationality thing. Like we're prepared to dismiss anything that doesn't fit with what we already believe. I feel like that's where we're most creative. <laughs> Our ability to just like keep finding a new lie to tell ourselves. PJ Vote and Alex Goldman of Reply All, thank you guys so much for being on Think Again today. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, this is incredible. Matt Farley, possibly the only human being who has ever written 18,000 songs, came through for us and wrote a song for the episode. And it goes a little something like this. Big things been added since 2008. Now they got Think Again and it's extremely great. Jason Gatz has got lots to say, but so do his guests, and he don't get in their way. He knows what's better than to talk over the likes of George Takei. Simon Rusty, Wendy Suzuki, and Bill Nye all chatting it up about ideas that surprise. You're gonna love listening to these gals and guys. If I've ever been this engaged by a podcast, I know not when. I used to think that I'd heard it all. It's time to think again. Think again. And that's it for this week's episode of Think Again. Special thanks for our theme song to Matt Farley, who you can find on the web at Matern Media. That's M-O-T-E-R-N-M-E-D-I-A dot com. If you're liking what you hear and you want to help the show stick around, can you please do us a favor? Rate or review us on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting service. It makes a huge difference to us. And join us next week for Freakonomics' Stephen Dubner. See you then.